Welcome to Sensor Noise, a podcast about photography. I'm Andrew, joined as always by Arthur. Hello, Arthur. Say hi. Yeah, hello. This week, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence. But before then, we're going to talk about the news. Um, first bit of news here. This is, this is interesting. Someone actually brought this up to me today in real life. Um, there's a new really? Has- Hasselblad has come out with... Um, I think you might have more, more accurate information on this, but it's basically a hundred megapixel back that you can slap on to like your old Hasselblad 500 film camera. Yeah, they've, they've, they've done the thing that they seem to like to do, which is stick to the same format that they've been using for, I don't know what, a hundred years at this point, a very long time. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, they've made a new 100 megapixel back that you can put on it mm-hmm. um as well as a new uh like lens i don't even know what to call that the thing that goes in the front that you put a lens on like the camera body but that doesn't but have it's the not sensor. really there's not yeah. really anything it's, in it's, it. it's it's <laughs> i was gonna say it's pretty much just like the lens mount like and the shutter board. buttons on there too <laughs> right <laughs> but yeah they've, they've made a new one which is 100 megapixels um it's medium format uh takes all of the lenses that the old one takes yeah and interestingly they've made like you can use this with a waist level viewfinder apparently yeah which is very neat um and i watched a couple videos about it people seem to say that it's really quite good yeah Uh, i'm yeah i wish i could buy one of these this is impressive because these hasselblad uh 500s you know like you said have existed for a very long time and the fact that you can put a not just like any given digital back but like a modern 100 pixel digital 100 megapixel i should say 100 pixels would not be very much uh 100 megapixel digital back on a camera from like the 1950s and it like becomes a modern camera is pretty neat yeah it's wild yeah uh, and what's cool is with with this system that they've built here, you actually can use a regular old waist level viewfinder, like a real viewfinder with the digital back. Right. Well, because, yeah, ultimately it's like an SLR. So it's just it's just got, you know, it's still got the mirror in there and everything. Yeah, it's uh, really cool. I'm I really like that. They maintained that capability. Yeah. The uh, original 500 series, uh, 500C, came out in 1957. Jeez. So yeah, so can, almost, uh, almost 100. That's 70 years. Yeah. So you Jesus. can uh, yeah, you can make your camera from 1957 a, a modern camera that works perfectly well and takes uh, probably pretty great pictures, given that it's yeah, a Hasselblad, so. black and a Hasselblad back and it's 100 megapixels. Like, that's just going to be... I mean, these are the... These are the cameras that were used on the moon to take pictures, you know, they, they took the blue marble on a, on a Hasselblad camera, you know, and that was with film. So, uh, you know, interestingly, they've also gone and built in storage. So it has hmm. a terabyte of NVMe flash. I saw that. Yeah. So you don't even need a card or anything. You just use, you just use it as it is. That, that is curious it, it, it's interesting does it ha- like can you put uh like a car oh it has a cf yeah it has a card slot. okay yeah but you don't need it you can just use the built-in flash 
that's interesting. I wonder if we'll see that more as like the speed of the storage becomes a bigger deal. You know, I keep hoping that we will, because honestly, like the prices of the CF Express cards are ludicrous. Yeah. Um, and their little cross section of this shows this as basically a little 2230 M2 SSD. So like, yeah, I'm sure that's all it is. If, if I can just like get into the camera and swap out the SSD when I need to, that's also fine. Sounds great. <laughs> right. If you can just swap it. Yeah. But this is the thing, right? It, a terabyte SSD is like, what, 50 bucks on Amazon yeah, no, these days not, for these little expensive. NVMe ones? Yeah. And a terabyte, I don't even have a terabyte CF Express card for my camera because it would cost like $500. A terabyte CF Express card, which, by the way, uses the same like signaling, yeah, ultimately. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah. Like electrically to whatever's talking to it, it's more or less the same thing as an M.2 SSD, right. but but that you see this one says Sony on it, so yeah, uh, and because it's like quote unquote rugged, you know, yeah. Well, this is why so many people who uh, shoot video, you know, on like hybrid digital cameras or things like that, tend to just use external SSDs plugged into like a USB C because right, you know, yeah, yeah. It's much. So you get one of those like capacity. a Samsung T7, the little USB C ones, right? Fairly cheap. Yeah. And it'll be faster than anything internal, provided your camera has a card output or a, a USB output. Yep. You should be fine. Yep. Yeah. I like this camera. Maybe someday. Mm-hmm. Um, in other news, uh, Lucky Film, uh, which was a, a brand of film from China uh, that was big in like the 1990s, early 2000s, um, has relaunched their 400 speed black and white film. Um, and the, uh, the retail Chinese film retailer reflex labs says that it's going to be sold internationally beginning in March and also hinted that if this sells well, lucky might reintroduce their color films, which were, were fairly well regarded and you could still buy expired of relatively recently, um, because lucky, uh, received a bunch of investment from Kodak in the 1990s or in mm. like the early 2000s. And so they upgraded a lot of their production lines and they made pretty good color film. And then they just sort of, you know, like petered out in like 2012 kind of sort of thing. So, but it sounds like they might come back now, um, which would be uh, interesting, you know, always excited to have new films, especially weird films. Um, yeah. I, I, I think it's interesting that in the last like six months, we've seen all of these new ones. Yeah. There's another one from a German company, Adox, that's making a new one as well, a color film. Adox, yes. This is uh, a color film that is ISO 3. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ISO 3 is like, you know... Uh, almost like a sheet of paper in terms of light <laughs> <Right>. sensitivity. Uh, <laughs> but it's it, it apparently, you know, as a result has super fine grain. So right. um, it says uh, the film has a nominal speed of ISO three, according to ADOX. This is more practical than you might think during the day in the sun with a reasonably fast lens, you can take photos handheld, but, but you probably are going to probably want, not going to you probably with a film camera and like a moderate lens, 
you probably are going to want a tripod because, yeah, that's yeah. just ISO 3. I mean, I don't even know if I can turn my F100 down to ISO 3, to be honest. I think it bottoms out at probably ISO not. 6. <laughs> but regardless, I mean, it's great to see that more new stocks are coming out. Yeah. And this I, is really especially this experimental stuff, you know. Yeah. So. I figure I always figured it would be too expensive to make these limited run experimental ones like this. I didn't think it would yeah. make economic sense, but I guess maybe it does now. I think it I think it is making economic sense again, yes. And if someone would just inform Fujifilm <laughs> who who seems to not only not have gotten the memo but still is operating like that it's like twenty fifteen and film is going down the drain. Ugh. I don't know. Like yeah. They they can't have junked their production lines already. Like, come on. No, probably not. Yeah. Maybe they just don't have the expertise to do it anymore. I don't know. That's certainly possible. Um, Kodak has also reduced the price of Tri-X 35 millimeter film by up to 30%. This um, is the second one they've done recently, yeah? Well, yeah, they reduced the price of all the 120 films, the medium format films. Um, and now this is a 35 millimeter film, Tri-X, which is a, uh, a classic 400 speed black and white film used for like news reporting uh, mm. quite frequently in the mid-century. Um, and they dropped the price up at 30%. I don't know if this is just a like oversupply thing or what, but uh, you know, it makes... It makes this uh, a film like seven bucks, which is pretty great, it's to great. be honest, because that's yeah. about the same price as Ilford HP5, another 400 speed film. So, yeah, um, I don't know. I know uh, someone who is a big Tri-X fan who is very happy about this news. So, mm. um, yeah. Someone in the comments says still way more than HP5. I'll stick with Ilford. And I just want to say that, like, okay. no, it's literally... <laughs> It's pretty much the exact same price as HP5. <laughs> Why do you read the comments on these posts? <laughs> I I find it interesting who comments on these like film blogs, you know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Ugh. Uh guess Kodak isn't selling as much film because of their ridiculous price raises over the years. No, I I assure you they're selling plenty of film. <laughs> they're still selling a lot of film. <laughs> um there was an, some new camera news. Um, yeah, from, I didn't expect this one. From from has not ever been previously mentioned on this podcast. OM System, formerly Olympus. Uh, poor yeah. Olympus, uh, a great photo photographic company that got like chopped and screwed and and split up, and now all their stuff is under OM System. Um, but they're one of the big micro four thirds camera makers and they have unveiled the OM system OM one Mark two. Um, I want to say this is actually a more normal name than most of OM systems camera names. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this one's relatively understandable. Um, it says, uh, this, uh, does not include substantial upgrades. It's the same image sensor. Uh, they expanded the internal memory, um, but a lot it's got of a new stuff. ND filter, better autofocus. Yeah, it, it's uh, a. I mean, it's a Mark II type upgrade, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like, I, I'm honestly, I'm glad that 
they wouldn't still be making these if the Mark One hadn't sold well enough. Yeah. So it and must... some people are bought into the Micro Four Third system. So you know. Yeah. Here's a here's a new flagship camera for you. Um, I don't. I'm a little confused about it personally. I've never really understood uh, the Olympus OM line of yeah, cameras, but uh, some people well, I've never, do. I guess. I've never been a Micro Four Thirds person. Yeah, that too. Um, yeah, it is interesting that their flagship camera is one with such a small sensor. But I guess Fuji's in that same sort of boat. But uh, right, yeah. Could it go to fourthirds.org? That's mm. where the Micro Four Thirds uh, alliance lives, apparently. Yeah. Hmm. You know, I'm just happy for, uh, you know, camera companies remaining in business and indeed releasing yes. new products. So, yeah. Um, and finally, I learned of this from friends today. Um, if you have a Fujifilm... Uh, XF 16 to 55 f 2.8 lens. Do not upgrade the firmware. The latest firmware version is buggy. <laughs> this is, I was, anyway, I, I was shooting, I was shooting nature stuff today with some friends and most of them were shooting digital and I was shooting all film and they were talking about a couple of them had Fuji's and they were talking about how the film or, or how the firmware for the lens, the latest firmware release was buggy. And I was just like, imagine updating your lens, you know? <laughs> yeah. This is, this is the I've world that we live in. A couple times. Yeah. But now Micron you can do you, a lot of firmware updates though. Now you run the risk that when you update your lens, uh, it could totally screw up your pictures. It says, uh, in version 1.30, it was confirmed that the exposure of images taken with certain focal length and aperture value combinations became abnormal. For this reason, the firmware download has been suspended. The company adds that an emergency firmware release is in the works to fix the issue for any users who had already updated to version 1.30 before it was pulled from Fujifilm's website. It had promised to improve exposure tracking during zoom operation on specific cameras. Um, but uh, I guess they, I don't know, fat fingered a <laughs> key or something. Uh, and it doesn't do that. Um which is, you know, this is fascinating to me. This this makes me think of a an Apple knowledge base article that was published in like, I don't know, 1989 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, how come I shouldn't use system 6.0.6 on any Macintosh? Mm. They, they published an article telling you not to use it at yeah. all. Do, do, not, do not download this specific version. Yeah, it's always funny when companies have to do that. Right. This is just I I, th- I it's it's I'm still you know it's like really the lens has firmware that you have to upgrade like that just seems kind of silly to me I mean the Tamron lens that I use on my Nikon ZF has a USB C connector on the bottom of it specifically so you can update the firmware Well it's that's just, actually pretty nice It is nice but it's also it's just like why does this lens have a USB connector What does a lens need a USB connector for But you know. There's so much part of it's because so much of the focus system is in the lens. There's there's so much smarts in the lenses these days, you know. Yeah. And I it, it was amusing to me handling the older lenses that I was handling today that like, you know, <laughs> I have like old Nikon F mount D type lenses with, where the focusing motor is in the body of the camera and it just like spins a little pin in the lens to make right. it you know, focus back and forth. Like there's, 
there's barely any smarts. I think the aperture on those is still mechanical, uh, you know, rather than electrically controlled. Oh no, uh, yeah, Nikon yeah. Nikon F has a little the little arm that the camera moves right. to move the aperture. Yeah. But uh, you know, you put computers in everything. So you, yeah. you've got to put them in there. That's how. That's how you make progress. You Soon they'll have AI it. in the lens. You know. Yeah. I hope not. <laughs> so let's, it can make let's... intelligent decisions. <laughs> uh, that's that's my segue for talking about AI because there were some some big AI photo photography news things this week the Um, first one is something really baffling that samsung samsung showed off a new phone the s24 i agree that samsung baffling generally well yeah (laughs) so they've they have a new phone this year which is the samsung galaxy s24 ultra ai uh which um, is the same as the S23, but you see this one has AI in it. Of course. Otherwise, it's basically identical to the previous one. Yeah. And he there was a there was an interview with the executive vice president at Samsung, mm. and somebody they they asked him about the uh, I think we've discussed before the Samsung moon faking. Uh, yeah, where it was, you would super zoom on the moon, and it would show you like a really clear picture of the moon, and it turns out that that it was it was basically like making that up <laughs> yeah it would just take the moon that you were seeing and and photoshop a different moon on top of it yeah um and somebody asked him about this and what he said is uh let's see <laughs> there was a debate around what constitutes a real picture and actually there's no such thing as a real picture as soon as you have sensors to capture something, you reproduce what you're seeing, and it doesn't mean anything. There is no real picture. You can try to define a real picture by saying, I took that picture. But if you used AI to optimize the zoom, the autofocus, the scene, is it real? No. <laughs> so so his defense of replacing the moon is, well, actually, no pictures There's are real. There's no such thing as a picture. <laughs> <laughs> I have to look up... Uh, what this person uh, did in college, because I feel like I can guess that it's not engineering or anything like that, but I'm not certain. I'm, I'm going to guess that he's an MBA. Yeah. I think, I think that's, yeah. Let's see. On LinkedIn. Where did he go? Um, senior manager. He was a GSM engineer in the 80s. Okay. But it seems like he became a manager fairly hmm. quickly. Hmm. That's, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Obviously, there is such a thing as a picture. That's, um, yes, correct. I say that as a film photographer. But also, like, there's a very fundamental difference uh, with taking a picture with a lens and sensor versus, you know, AI, like generative AI, creating right. an image from, I don't want to say whole cloth, but like from a database of other images, basically. Right. Um, and I, yeah. I think what he's trying to get at is that like, you could have a more nuanced take on this, which is like, the images that you see in your brain aren't real images, you're, you're interpreting the information and seeing it as an image. 
Like which there's, is, there's processing that happens between your eyeballs and what you actually see. Which is true, but that's also as real as it could possibly be. Exactly. For me, right. I can't get any more real than that. So, but that I yeah. think the new, the take he's trying to make that he's uh, incapable of making nuanced is that, that like, yeah. oh, well, you, you can't really see an image because you're always processing it. It's like, but I, I also feel like that's not a great defense anyway no like it doesn't oh, defend you're not really like you don't really you know your eyes are just reacting to certain you know uh, uh photons and how quickly they're vibrating and from that you get and it's like no yeah that's that's how vision works you know right but you still <laughs> you still and what he's, get a representation of something in the real world out of that you know and what he's trying to defend here at the end of the day is the fact that the Samsung cameras do so much processing and changing of the images that like the pictures that you take on their phones don't look real. Yeah. They don't, they don't actually correlate to, you know, like like someone else with another camera cannot reproduce that image, you know? Right. And that's because it's not a representation of something that exists in the real world. No, it's, strange to me and i think this is why you see so many people these days going back to film or going back to those terrible point and shoots from the early 2000s those are much more real images than what your phone takes these days but it's like yeah i mean like film has a character to it but also like you can't really like film is very much the light goes through the lens and it hits the emulsion you know, right. and that's pretty much it. There's not a lot of magic going on there. You know, there's no. a limited amount of stuff you can do in that pipeline. Um, I'm just reading now the Verge's review of the Galaxy S24 Ultra, and there's some comparison photos between the S24 Ultra and the S23 Ultra camera at 100% mm-hmm. magnification. And the S24 camera photo is noticeably worse, I would say. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> It has it has chromatic aberration, something their AI apparently does not correct for that you think it would be able to. Um, <laughs> of course, yeah. I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I guess this is just we're in the AI hype cycle right now, and so everything is AI. Um, yes, you know, another example of that is AI. is our second story, which is that a. Uh, portrait competition in Australia that is open to photographers and artists will allow AI images to enter this year. Uh, the, the Brisbane Portrait Prize was won by a photographer in 2021, but was last year was won by a digital illustration. So it is a very mixed media contest. Um, so I guess from that perspective where they're allowing, you know, it's not just a photo prize. It's you could do, you know, your own, art your own illustration that like i kind of see that you could allow ai art but i don't i don't know i don't know i don't think so i i also feel like there's a question here of like who actually created the image that you're submitting to the contest like is it fair to credit you if they choose you as the winner because like you didn't i would say no like yeah does your typing in a prompt count as like authorship or to me, that's more like, you know, that would be like the director telling the cinematographer what they want to see, I guess, you know, or like uh, art direction. Yeah. 
which I guess is something, but I don't know. This is, this raises a lot of questions that they didn't really think too hard about. I think, um, I think this is, this is the argument that the AI, uh, guys try to make is like oh i i did the prompt and so i did a bunch of work to get this thing to output what i want but but i actually think of all the parts of the generative ai like image creation process the person doing the prompt is doing the least work because there's the actual there's the ai model that uh um is generating the image but then there's also all of the photographers or artists or whatever who created the actual images that the AI model was trained on. Yeah. And you're just typing in like a photo of robot holding camera, basically. (laughs) Well, and And hitting enter and it's like, here you go. It's more insidious than that too, because you can say like in in this petapixel article that we'll link um, one of the artists or one of the photographers has a photo of a snow leopard that he took mm-hmm. and then he put snow leopard portrait by Tim Flatch into AI, like into mid journey. Mm-hmm. And it spit out one that looked like almost exactly like the one that he actually took. Yeah. So it's not just like figuring out the prompt. Like it's, <laughs> you can tell it who you want it to rip off. Right. <laughs> which is, yeah, <laughs> which, which, you know, great. Um, it's worth noting that the the so the original obviously looks like an actual photograph. The AI one looks like uh, a poor man's attempt at plagiarizing. Yeah. Like it's right. not. <laughs> hey, hey, bro, you can copy my homework, but change it a little bit. Yeah, this is the other problem with these AI images is that I, I've I don't know that I've seen one that has like fooled me. I guess no, it's easy to tell. Like Still. you can, you can, you can always tell that cause there's just, you know, it doesn't, the AI ultimately doesn't know what looks right, you know? Right. So, yeah. Well, it doesn't know anything. Like it doesn't, the, the best example of this is the, the trend I keep seeing online lately of trying to get it to generate a picture of a cheeseburger with no lettuce. Mm. Uh, it can't do that. Yeah, it it because it, it just it doesn't, doesn't know what any of the things in the image it, are. Yeah, it doesn't know what a cheeseburger is. It doesn't know what lettuce is. It just no. knows that it has a bunch of images in its database that are labeled like cheeseburger. <laughs> right. And so it's like, well, it must be some some aspect of this file, you know, contains the essence of cheeseburger. Right. And so but we're going to like what we're going to like mix and match and do that. But it yeah, right. Exactly. Doesn't understand these kinds. I don't know. This is, I used to work in a very AI heavy field and this like, yeah, this is the thing is like artificial intelligence is, is not really that intelligent ultimately. No, God, no. Um, which is why I'm very concerned about people who get very, uh, you know, excited about it and the possibilities of it. It's like, no, it's, Honestly, it's, you know, a machine that you can you put instructions into and get something out, but it's not, you know, there's no like quality assurance on it or anything. No, none at all. No. It's very frustrating. Like I'm I'm still in the tech industry now and yeah, the people who are pushing this stuff in my estimation in my experience, have no idea how it works. They've 
Oh, that too. They, yeah. They right. fall victim to like, I had a really engaging conversation with chat GPT last night. And so obviously it's alive. It's like, well, yeah. Okay. That, it's, you it's, show it's, that you don't know how this works at all. Quite a lot of people don't understand how it works because it's, it's very complicated, you know, right. It, it's an, it's a, uh, you know, very complicated mathematics problem basically. And it's hard to wrap your head around, but then when people make sort of approachable, ways to use it like chat gpt and it's like oh wow with the machine you know it can <laughs> i can well, chat gpt is brilliant marketing honestly yeah because it makes because it's it's uniquely suited to be able to do that kind of conversation um, right and they by by making it into a chat interface it's very easy to convince people that it's doing more than it does yeah like the thing that people don't fundamentally understand, right? Every time they type something in, it runs the entire chat history of that chat back through the model to get the next output. Mm -hmm. It's not sitting there like listening and thinking about what you said. You have to give it the whole history every single time. Yeah. And right. they've hidden that cleverly. I was going to say there's some de definitely some like user interface kind of like. Yes tricks like the, the way that they make it look like it's typing or thinking right and it's not yeah, right <laughs> it's not doing anything yeah <sighs> oh, well uh but I, that's okay I, we'll, I am, we'll just let all these things drive us around you know that'll, yeah that'll work well. that's probably fine yeah at least the driving environment is uh, somewhat predictable. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, I don't know if the car, if the ChatGPT is driving my car around, it's there a are, little less evil than you know it, health it, insurance companies using it to decide claims or whatever. That's true, and there are you know uh, objects in motion do have to obey laws of physics. So that's you can right, roughly yes. predict where they're going to be. You know, yeah, but uh, yeah anyway <laughs> you can tell neither of us particularly like any of this ai crap yeah <laughs> that wasn't obvious i've yeah i've yet to see an application of it that doesn't seem like it's making things worse in some way i guess worse or not i guess not better yeah like right. there's places where it's useful you know summarizing articles or whatever that's mm -hmm. kind of useful but you could just read the article yeah you don't need to spend the um, electricity budget of a small home to summarize an article for you and i guess the the thing that i'm seeing people mostly use it for is, is trying to uh eliminate human labor and well, their, right. and that's reduce costs and, and put people out of jobs basically so yeah yeah that's the uh that's just someone asked that. me the other day because we were talking about like the tech job market and how the layoffs are still ongoing and they were like is that because of ai and i was like no I, <laughs> no because no, ai is not, not. going to be able to do all these people's jobs but <laughs> but it, they've certainly done good marketing to make people think that you know yeah and that's entirely like sam altman and the the effective accelerationism people doing that yeah anyway 
just doing some oh i'm here i'm on the wikipedia article for artificial intelligence and they have a vincent van gogh in watercolor created by generative ai software and this does not look like vincent van gogh (laughs) (laughs) it just looks like a guy with a ginger beard i'm afraid to say and a a flat cap on but uh yeah this is the thing with ai is that it, it like doesn't get you the actual answer you know it gets you somewhat close to like if you ask it what two plus two is it would tell you like oh, it's three you know it's like well no but <laughs> it won't anymore but well, right yeah the thing about gpt and the chat the the way that the public knows how this works based on chat gpt there are a ton of mitigations that they've put in place right for those examples Stuff they where basically people are like, hard-coded in yeah, when they're like, oh, it can't do math, they'll go and hard code it to detect when it's a math problem and like run it through Wolfram Alpha or something. They, they're they able to make it seem like it's a lot smarter than it is. Yeah. Because of how you interact with it. Right. Yep. Anyway. Anyway, I don't want to – I'm yeah. sick of talking about AI. <laughs> It'll come up again, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I can't wait for some camera manufacturer to build it into their flagship model. That's yeah. Great. Yeah. You know. They will. I don't know. This is, get, get, AI images <laughs> don't have EXIF data because they don't correspond to reality. You know? There's no lens. There's no author. There's no camera body. Well, that is no something focal interesting. length. I've come around on the uh, content authenticity initiative thing that Adobe is doing. Originally they, they made it for NFT bullshit. Um, Yeah. But I've come around on it a bit because now they're saying, Oh, well, if you embed the authenticity data in the photo, when you capture it, now you can prove that it hasn't been tampered with by AI. And that part of it I'm on board with. Right. <laughs> That's supposed yeah. to come to my camera at some point. I think the A93 has it, um, but mine is supposed to get it as well. Yeah. And I, I genuinely think we're going to have to have more stuff like that. I think so, yeah. Let's talk about lighting. lighting. You've been getting into lighting quite a bit. I, I have, know almost nothing about it. And I've been I'd getting like into lighting, yeah. What uh, you're up to over there. Well, you know, I've been having to do studio stuff because the weather's been winter here, um, you know, dark and cold. Right. So uh, doing stuff in the studio is uh, comfortable, you know, climate controlled, things of that nature. Um, But you need lights for that generally um, to take a good picture. Um, So, yeah, I've, I've amassed a small collection of lighting equipment now um i have some strobes which is to say flashes for people who aren't familiar with that um basically like big studio flashes Mm -hmm. um and i also now have some continuous lights as well um which are what they sound like um the um strobes are are neat obviously they can the thing about strobes is they can be much much brighter than a continuous light because they're only on for a fraction of a second um but i would also say that they're only really viable to use with a a digital camera i i respect film photographers who used studio strobe lights uh back in the day 
I don't know how you nail that because (laughs) I definitely have to spend like 10 to 15 frames, like taking a picture and dialing it in. (laughs) Right. That's the only way I can get it right. It's just fiddling with it over a number of uh, shots. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's neat. I like all the stuff that you can do with lighting, you know, um, different shadows and different intensities. And, um, there's even goofy stuff that you can do with like strobes, uh, and then continuous lighting, um, Mm. like shutter drags, like, and you know, you can have it where it can briefly flash and then you can like basically drag the camera down and it'll make, um, a continuous light source sort of smear in the background or something Hmm. like that. But the actual subject of the photo will remain because they stay still. Um, and they're only lit briefly in that moment. You know, they don't, um, they don't get smeared themselves. Um, which is not a technique I've yet tried, but I've seen other people do it. It's, it's, uh, pretty neat. Um, the continuous lights I got are pretty neat. They are. Yeah. Which, um, what did you end up getting? Because I, I don't imagine you've spent thousands on this. I'm, no, I was recommended to get stuff from. Uh, so there's a company called Aperture, A P U T U R E Aperture, um, and they have a like budget line called Amaran uh, mm. of continuous lights, and uh, they're I would say relatively reasonably priced and pretty high quality. This is things you can go you can go on Amazon and you can look up continuous lights and you can get stuff that's cheap but it's not very good you right. know um this was these are continuous lights I got a 150 watt one and a 250 watt one um which are like just bright enough for film photography indoors with right. a soft box um I kind of wish that I'd gotten ones that were a little bit brighter but they start getting Fairly expensive above that. Um, but, uh, yeah, these were, um, you know, worth noting, these were on for like three, four hours at nearly full brightness. And, they were fine. and they got hot, but like the fans were never audible or anything. Wow. So it's kind Pretty of, good. kind of remarkable how good these LED, uh, lights have gotten, you know? Yeah. No kidding. Um, I would have expected them to be screaming. No, they were. Yeah. And honestly, they weren't even like that hot. They were toasty, but like I could still pull the metal shroud off of the light to put it away, you know, at Hmm. the end of the session. So um, I see they've even got they've got uh, the 300C is a full RGB. Yeah. um, 300 watt RGB one. That's pretty cool. Right, because the one I have, one that I got is a bicolor one, so you can you can change the color temperature. It's a white light, but you can change yeah. it from like twenty seven hundred K to sixty six thousand something K. Um, and then the other one I got is just a daylight weighted, because I figured I would mostly be using the continuous lights for film, and most film is daylight color balanced. Um, right. But yeah, they have a they have the Amaran three hundred C, which is a full RGB. They also have the one fifty C. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, and that's still that's pretty reasonably priced. They still. are. And then I, I got um, the uh, aperture light domes, which are like octagonal soft boxes 
um, which are pretty cool. Um, one thing I've thought about getting as an accessory is the spotlight kit, uh, which lets you, uh, well, make a spotlight. And then you can also put like little patterns, little masks mm. in there, um, things like that. So I think I would want to get some of these tubes that they have. Oh, yes. I should mention that I have. Yeah, I have. Um, I have one one biggish tube and one little tube. I have a little cheap tube off of Amazon whose name is not worth mentioning, but I have a Godox TL60, and that's a really good one. Um, is it RGB or is it just one? It's color? RGB, yeah. You can it's do a, some interesting effects with those. You can. Um, Godox TL60 is about two and a half feet long. They make even longer ones, but this is like plenty long. It gets quite bright, I would say. Um, and it's full RGB and it can even do like little special effects like flash and like, Ooh. you know, fade and stuff like that. Um, we were really just like setting it to a color, you know? Sure. Um, I probably will get more of those cause they're fun and yeah, you can do all sorts of lighting effects with them. And also like the tube shape is versatile in some ways, lets you put light, oh, yeah. uh, in weird places where you couldn't otherwise. So, Yeah. Um, so what are you, do you, did you say you have strobes? I have strobes. Yeah. My strobes are, um, they're Godox strobes. Well, they're what are actually you controlling them with, uh, so the Godox family of products, uh, it's called the, what do they call it? The X system. Uh, yeah. Um, so all of the Godox strobes are connected over like a 2.4 gigahertz communication protocol. Interesting. And then you get a trigger for your specific camera that basically matches like the hot shoe to do mm -hmm. TTL. You can also okay. just get like a single pin one if you don't care about TTL, sure. um, which you don't need to if you're willing to just like work it out, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I got one that has the TTL because why not? It also reports the, um, you know, like it'll report the zoom and uh other information from the camera to the flash sure, sure. if necessary. Um, but yeah, they're, they're all linked like that. And then you can assign the lights to particular groups and control the brightness of those groups independently. Um, hmm. And you can do this all on the, um, on the little camera remote. So on your camera, that way you don't have to run over to the lights and adjust the knobs on the lights. Yeah. Control them all remotely. Um, and uh adjust them that way which is it's pretty neat um hmm. i like that yeah <clears throat> so I've my, got... i have a nikon speed light which can be a commander but i think you have to get the nikon lights you for do it to be a commander which i'm not going to do yeah um which you know if you buy into it's either like godox or um new newer newer right. Yeah. Um, or it, you can also buy from Adorama. It's the Flashpoint, which is actually what mine are, which are just white labeled Godox stuff. Sure. Um, so they work just fine. Did you get um, the controller with the little touchscreen, the X3? I didn't, but I want to. That yeah, one looks neat. It looks nice. Yeah. I have one of the older style that has a bunch of buttons and knobs, and it's a little confusing because there's like yeah. two buttons and knobs for each, like, you can hit two different buttons to accomplish the same thing. I don't quite understand it. Um, I don't. I don't like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, they've got a new one that's just a touchscreen, which is the one I want to get. Yeah, that um, looks nice. It's nice and small too. Yeah. 
So I've got I've got two monolight strobes, and I've also got one of their little like portable battery powered strobes, the AD one hundred, which they call a pocket flash, which is kind of neat because it's a tiny little thing. You know, it's about the size of like a soda can, but it's quite bright and it's wirelessly controlled. And so you can mount it on a C stand or whatever, a tripod and use it like a normal flash. Or you can, you know, like put it on a hot shoe and put it on your camera or you can just, you know, like carry it around, sit it down somewhere kind of thing. Um, It's just battery powered. Um, The monolights that I have are not battery powered, but you can get big studio quality ones that are battery powered if that's important to you that certainly Mm. would be helpful in some of these studios that i've been in which are like repurposed industrial spaces that don't have a lot of outlets around (laughs) but um yeah it's interesting um you know i've uh i'm thinking I'm probably going to continue to amass a collection of of lights of various kinds um some led light panels maybe um Mm -hmm. those look nice um i guess the big question is has has this enabled you to get shots that you wouldn't have been able to otherwise oh yeah for sure i mean i think a lot of the shots from like my birthday party and other and the other big studio thing that i did last weekend um i don't think they would have looked anything like you know like they would have just looked like natural light, but natural light indoors. And so just right, not yeah. that good. Um, and then I, I have some, let me see if I can find it real fast. That one of my friends um, wanted to, uh, you know, showed me like a Pinterest photo of um, precisely uh, what she wanted um, and it was like a, a very like contrasty sort of low key lighting, mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing. And I don't think you could accomplish this without like, this was basically like one very bright light. Oh yeah. You, in. Yeah. You need a light for this. Yeah. You couldn't do it otherwise. <laughs> right. So, yeah. And that's, you know, we, we made it work and it's, those are. I think some of the best photos that I've taken are these little black and white ones that are highly shadowed because it's just you just have one source of light coming in from left of frame. Yeah. Um, and it's very it's very dark and almost sort of underexposed, uh, very high contrast. Um, mm. So, yeah. Uh, you're killing me. I got to get some of this stuff now. It's just, it's fun, too. It's just fun to mess around, you know, and move the lights around like I did. I don't know if you saw from my birth birthday, but I I had the the TL sixty uh, light LED light bar out. Yeah, and I was just sort of holding it in front of the poor model's face, like just moving it around <laughs> to see what it did, you know, and taking yeah. photos. Like, what if I hold it here? What if I hold it over here? How does this look? You know, what if it's coming from the right? What if it's coming from the left? What if it's coming from above? What if it's coming from down below? You know, and. uh you know, I, and I've got some other ones here where I have like a little bit of normal flash, but then I'm also holding the TL60 in red off to the left of frame. So half of right. her face is red and the other is just normal skin tone, you know, and it's just like, yeah, things you can't do with uh, 
Well, you could probably get an AI to make that for you, I guess. <laughs> the photo Photoshop's generative <laughs> fill could certainly do it. Yeah. No, it's it's a lot of fun. Especially the honestly, the colored lights are a lot of fun. I think yeah. I, I know a lot of photographers who've just gone on to Amazon and like you can put in an LED light tube and get like a little one that's like a foot long uh for like well, these, you know, fifty, uh, sixty bucks. In my uh in my office, like in my zoom background i have these go v light tubes yeah. and honestly they'd probably work fine for this they're pretty bright but yeah there's no battery option and they like they're really designed to be stuck to the wall here udlanzi vl 110 rgb light one comma handheld light stick camera led video tube light bar 2500 to 900k dimmable 2600 milliamp l our battery CRI 95 <laughs> plus with magnetic attraction. Uh, sure. For photography vlog, TikTok $50. There you go. That's for TikTok. Oh, this is cool. So because they're magnetic, you can stack them up on top of each other and make them even longer. Well, so you That's can do that with mine, with the, the yeah. ones that I have, you can stick, um, you can stick them together, but they kind of stick together almost like, uh, they're like little puzzle pieces almost, mm-hmm. but they're not rigid. Like if you move them around, they'd fall apart. They're really yeah. designed to be stuck yeah. together on a wall. Right. I would say if you, if you want like a good high quality, one of these to get it from like Godox or Nanlite or yeah, small rig, maybe Ulanzi stuff is okay ish. Uh, but yeah, that's certainly, I don't know. These are, these are, they're lots of fun. Um, and I will say too that like my strobe setup, my monolight strobe setup was like a kit from Adorama. Mm. And I want to say that like that whole um, set of two strobes, it was basically two strobes, two air cushion stands for them to be on, and then two soft boxes. I want to mm. say that that was like 300 bucks or less for all of that. It was, it mm. was fairly inexpensive for what. Yeah, it that's was. pretty good. Yeah. These you oh, can get right. these strobes strobes I would say are 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 pretty reasonably priced because yeah unlike a, a, a LED continuous light they don't have to produce a bunch of power all the time they just have yeah. to produce a bright flash of light for a fraction of a second so right. now the the battery powered strobes are quite expensive but that's because they're battery powered well, if yeah you that's can, the battery <laughs> doing that yeah. Uh, if you can bear to plug them in, which, you know, of course I was fine with then. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose it just depends races. where you're working, right? If right. you have access to power like that, then you're fine. But if you yeah. don't, you need the batteries. So a single, so I have the, the Godox MS 300s, uh, which are also the flashpoint blaze 300s. Mm. Um, and a single one of those mono lights, no, no stand or anything. Just the light itself is 109 bucks. So. That's not bad at all. Yeah. I assumed it'd be way more than that. Yeah. No, it's pretty good. I've got um I've got soft boxes for it, and then I also just have like the big reflectors, like super silver reflectors that make mm-hmm. that's like if you really want the like nineties super high key flash look, you can put those on there. Hmm. Uh, which is fun. And you can also you can spend so much money on all sorts of different modifiers like shoot through umbrellas or reflective umbrellas or different shapes and kinds of soft boxes. And then you can get gridded soft boxes 
all sorts of stuff. The the studio that we went for my birthday, they had a soft box that was like really long and skinny rectangle, mm, um, which is like, you know, put light exactly here and nowhere else kind of thing. Right. Um, we also I think the, I think you can spend a lot of money on modifiers applies to everything in this. Hobby. That's that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's just everything. Yeah. Well, you've given me ideas. I, mm-hmm. I will have to once I'm done with my travel in the next couple of months, I'll, I'll think about some of this stuff. Yeah. Well, and you can buy like a, uh, you know, a, a, a background support for like a, you know, seamless paper or cloth background for pretty cheap, too. So, yeah, I'm thinking about putting one of those in my garage. Um, oh, see, you could do that because because in your neck of the woods, you don't actually need the garage for your car necessarily. That's correct. My car <laughs> stays outside, whereas I do. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're we're actively <laughs> we're going to make the garage into some sort of like creative space for that's really cool painting or art or whatever. I, I wish I had space to do that in my house but unfortunately i don't which is why i've been going to these studios but uh yeah we have two things we have a we have a back patio that's like a screen porch but the screens are not in good shape Mm -hmm. Um, and then we have the garage so what we had originally done is put all of the like storage in the garage Mm -hmm. but i think what we're going to do is move the storage into like you know those big sealed plastic containers you get from costco Right. Put everything in those and just stack them up in the screen porch that we don't use very much. Mm. And then the garage will be open for it, like it already has a, a built in workbench and stuff. So, you know, painting, wood cutting, we get a 3D printer or something like that. And then right. there is already a like a I don't even know, like almost a crawl space type thing about halfway across mm-hmm. the garage that mm-hmm. I can very easily hang a paper backdrop off of if I got one of the retractable ones. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, I would say get, get the, get the seamless paper backdrops because, yeah, of course. uh, yeah, like I have a cloth one and just, you know, people step on it and then you got to wash it or whatever. Whereas the paper <laughs> right. ones, you just slice them and yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, that's, that's sort of the vision that we're working with. And yeah. if I do that, then yeah, absolutely. We I forget. Didn't we, didn't we look to stuff. see if you have like rental studios in your area and it's not, yeah, not a big not thing, much. unfortunately it's, I, I apparently am blessed to be, to live in like a creative artsy city. Uh, well, yeah, you live, bunch. you live in a city where people aren't absolutely insane and working on AI all the time. That's true. So that yeah, helps. they're mostly working on insurance, <laughs> I guess. Right, that, that helps. <laughs> uh, talk to me about camera history. You've, you've got the camera history segment this week. Yeah, it's- I've got a little a little segment. Um, recently, I've sort of been fascinated with the early DSLRs. Oh, these are um, these are great. They're so, so- they're such <laughs> goofy contraptions. Yeah, if you're not familiar with these. Uh, I, I will put a picture in the in the episode, but um, basically in the early days of digital photography, like the digital sensors were very large. They were huge. They were very power hungry, slow. Um, yeah, not good. And what everybody did, like people didn't want to design a whole new camera for these because it was kind of unproven technology at the time. Mm-hmm. They didn't know if, you know, the market would want to buy these things. And so what pretty much everybody did, and there's a whole bunch of examples of this is they took 
a film camera body from somebody and they glued the digital contraption to the back of it. Yeah. And not in the cool way that Hasselblad does, like we talked about earlier. Because <laughs> these, um, these are SLR bodies. Like, they don't have a yeah. back you can swap out, really. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no, there's nothing to swap. So, in a lot of these, the early, early ones, they pretty much just took the film door off and then stuck a whole thing onto the back of it. So, yeah. a couple of examples I've pulled. There's the Minolta RD-175, which is oh, that's a good gigantic. One. It's it's huge. It looks like you've taken, like, a regular Minolta SLR and, like, outfitted it with, like, uh, an entire, like, kit for hiking Everest. Like, yeah. just one of those massive, rigid backpacks. <laughs> and it's it's worth it to mention, like, what they had... So these were still doing SLRs the classic way. Mm-hmm. So the Minolta 175 um, had three CCD image sensors oh, in it. So it was that's actually, why it's so huge. <laughs> it was actually still splitting the light three ways. Oh, my. And then it would combine the image from the three sensors together to give you your color image. No wonder, because you have, you have three separate CCD sensors that are probably approximately full frame size that you have to right. s- stick in this thing and a splitter prism. <laughs> and so it gets better. This one also... So it took 12 megapixel images, which is actually pretty That's good quite for the good time. for, yeah, 1995. <laughs> and it stored them on a 128 gigabyte PCMCIA hard drive. Nice. Um, so it had a spinning hard drive in there. Yeah, like the uh, the little the little IBM micro drives that were in yeah. iPods. <laughs> because you think about it, in 1995, what other choices did you have? A zip disk? Uh, ls120 like there were not a lot of choices for 12 megapixel images which were huge at the time right so yeah they they kind of (laughs) the only usable iso was 800 yeah that's you do not get get. iso adjustment (laughs) (laughs) that's all you get so this thing is huge it's like the size of a lunchbox (laughs) yeah yeah Hey, but you got autofocus with it, so you know that's something. But around the same time, there were other other ideas. So mm-hmm. Kodak had one. Um, oh, Kodaks, yeah. Kodaks had some really interesting ones. They went more classic, so they took Nikon film bodies and attached their thing to it. Mm-hmm. They weren't mm-hmm. trying to do splitting, so they had one CCD sensor that captured the image. Mm-hmm. Um, very. Uh, low megapixels so their initial entries were like one or two megapixels at most yeah um and they instead of the very the very original dcs 100 had a resolution of 1.3 megapixels yeah so they they tended to go a different direction than the minolta yeah um they made their cameras long so if you look I, at like the DCS 420, it's it's very very long. Yeah. So so both <laughs> both of the camera stores here in Columbus have a DCS like um you know like on their like wall of cameras basically. And yeah, they're long. It's basically like what if the camera was twice as tall? Right. <laughs> Does theirs work? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Cuz out here um I went to the Vintage Computer Festival last fall. And every every time one of those happens here, there's a guy who brings several of these old ones that still work. Oh wow! And let's take pictures of them. Yeah. They're, they're pretty pretty nuts. Yeah. 
Um, and then, so this, this whole topic came about because one of the YouTubers that I follow, Snappiness, put out an image, he put out a video of the um, Kodak DCS 760, mm. which was a CCD sensor DSLR released in 2001, which is an Nikon F5 with the Kodak uh, thing stuck to the back of it. And interestingly, it's a bit more integrated on this one. Hmm. And they had like accessories for it. Um, so this also could take the PC card hard drive. Um, it had these huge batteries that you'd put into it. <laughs> and you could swap. Interestingly, I didn't realize this on the F5s. You could swap the viewfinder. Yeah. Which is kind of neat. Yeah, yeah. So you could have a DSLR with the waist level viewfinder with this thing, <laughs> which you might want. Cause it's pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah. It's quite heavy, but by this point um, it was actually fairly well integrated into the body. Like you couldn't actually yeah. take it apart anymore. Yeah. So I just think it's these are interesting. Like it's interesting to see how this technology evolved that like the DSLR format we had for so long is literally because they took film cameras and glued CCD image sensors to the back. Yeah, what I'm mirrorless is really the first time that we have a full like they actually built a product for the purpose instead of sticking two things together. Right. I'm sort of fascinated by the DCS 300 series, which is um, rather than being based on 35 millimeter SLRs, we're based on Nikon's APS SLRs, possibly the most aborted effort in terms of like picking the wrong camera to convert (laughs) into (laughs) like no one, no one has to have wanted these. I'm sure. Well, the, the seven sixty it uses an F five, but it shoots APS H, uh, pictures. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Cause they didn't, they, I mean, they figured they could get away with putting smaller sensors in saving money basically. So, and I mean, probably. Yeah. I mean, that's that's why we still have APS-C format uh, mirrorless cameras and, and DSLRs today. So, Not APS-H, though. No. APS-H is gone. That's a that's little true. bit better, a little bigger than APS-C. It's like uh, 28 millimeters across instead of 23, I think. Yeah. yeah. APS was weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just think these are interesting. These are these are fun cameras. A lot of them still work. So, you know, if you see yeah. them for sale on Craigslist, then give them a try. They're, they're kind of cool. It is sort of interesting to contrast these uh, with, like, the Sony Mavicas that did record to floppy disks. Yeah. Uh, or, or even to, like, CDs. <laughs> yeah, in some cases. Like, yeah, um, you know, you, you'd had you had the Mavicas that you just put a three and a half inch floppy disk in, and obviously you couldn't capture very many photos and they weren't very high res. But the the Mavicas I think were not really meant to be like a professional digital camera like the DCS series was. Um, no, they were clearly meant to be point and shoots. Yeah. But then they also had the CD Mavicas where not even a full size CD, one of the little mini CDs, but they would write to the mini CD <laughs> to, to save yeah. your photos. Don't drop uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, also don't shake it at any point. No. <laughs> um, another good one here, the Agfa ePhoto CL30 Click, which used the iOmega Click disc. 
Oh, the <laughs> click. So, yeah, actually, uh, not, not quite a zip disk, but ma- made by the same people close. who made the zip disk. Um, yeah. B- basically, it's just like a single real tiny hard drive platter inside of a little cassette uh, <sighs> that it would write those to. That's it's a shame uh, that click failed. It was cool looking. Yeah. CL30 click a whopping 0.9 megapixels. <laughs> No, that is a, a zip. Tiny it's, it uses shoes. pocket zip. Well, that's what they renamed Click to. Yeah, because it uh, didn't. Because it it it. Uh, yeah, it had a. Uh, well, Click a was Click reputation. was a couple of things because they also had a Click, like they made Click branded PCMCAA hard drives as well. <laughs> over at iOmega, they were just throwing stuff at the wall at some point. Yeah, they were they were really stuff. struggling at this point. <laughs> they made the zip disk and it like. It printed the money for a time, and then eventually, and jazz too. Yeah, and then eventually things caught up with them, and they're like, "Oh, well, now what do we do? We'll just keep <laughs> trying to make weird formats." <laughs> yeah. USB mass storage just ate them all. Yeah, this did not work for them. Um, no. Yeah. Speaking of of film YouTubers, what is the uh, deal with so many film YouTubers? Um, I don't. I want to. I want to carve out a huge exception here for for listener listener Dave the old the old camera guy <laughs> on YouTube. <laughs> no, but I mean, uh, you and I both share a uh, I would say, um, well, I don't know what to say about Jared Poland. <laughs> yeah, he's a real okay. I mean, I mean. Fro knows photo. Fro also knows how to make some of the most 2009 type videos in the year 2024. Uh, yeah. You know, like he, we're he's still, still doing using cutaways to Family Guy clips, really. Cutaways to Family Guy clips. We got the I Shoot Raw t shirt. We've got. Which he um, wears on, in almost every video. It's like, you yeah, know, I got it. We get it. <laughs> We've got we've got um, in the thumbnail, you know, he's doing YouTube face mm-hmm. um, and it also has like emojis from iFunny.com or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really know. I don't know what he thinks he's doing over there. Also, also just clickbaity titles. Um, yeah. Latest latest video. Whoa. Nikon might be on to something big. Yeah, um, they might be. Yeah. <laughs> Then his previous, I don't know, man. <laughs> then another previous year from two weeks ago. Sorry, Nikon. He's got a real, real hot and cold relationship with Nikon. It seems he he does. <laughs> he has a whole saga about it because he he yeah. quit Nikon to go to Sony or something. But I think he's back. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, that, you'll have that. But this this is a whole. I mean, I think it's the same with the film YouTubers. There are people who are trying to, they're trying to win YouTube. Yeah, they're not trying to make, you know, art videos or things that people want to watch. They're trying to make algorithm bait. Yeah. And there's definitely people who I feel are trying too hard as well. Absolutely. Um, There's people who are also just like showing off that they own a lot of really expensive, like vintage cameras. Correct. And it's like (laughs) cool, like great. I don't know, um, you know, th- where it's almost like a lifestyle thing. You know, it's like, 
yeah, I took my Mamiya 7 and headed into, you know, Yosemite for the week kind of thing. You know, it's like, cool, great, Um, you know. Uh, And then I feel like there's also the genre of people who don't actually know what they're talking about giving advice. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Because we were were both in a video this week um, that was about how using ISO 100 uh, on your digital camera is bad. That's and right. The sort it's of ruining reason, your photos. The sort of reasoning behind it was that if you're always shooting at ISO 100, then some of your photos are going to end up blurry. And I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, if you don't adjust for <laughs> exposure, yeah. like, sure. Um, yep. Pretty yeah. much. I I don't I, I don't understand this. I mean, it's they're trying to get clicks. Yeah. Whether that's a from a good way or a bad way, they don't really care because AdSense pays the same either way. Yeah. And I guess that's just the thing, you know, is that you got to, it's true of really any sort of YouTube niche, but you really have to be careful, um, you know, what you're watching and, and whether it's actually someone who like has expertise or is just trying to flaunt stuff or whatever. Right. Like a good example of this um, is, uh, What's it called? Analog. Where is it? It's disappeared. Thank you, YouTube. I don't know how <laughs> to. I'm just trying to find. Uh, Separately, I feel like the YouTube search addict. has gotten worse. Anyway. Oh, Attic Darkroom. I think Attic Darkroom. Yeah. Uh, and basically all he does is mistreat film in development. <laughs> Um, doing terrible things with Harmon Phoenix, I see. Is yeah, that's that's his, result. Yeah, okay. That's like his that. latest. <laughs> that's his latest. Is is doing terrible things with Harmon Phoenix. It's kind of interesting. Like he cross processes it and processes it in all these interesting ways, and shows you all the results too. Yeah. And then at the end, he's like, you know, my conclusion is just shoot it normally if you want the best results. Which is like, well, yeah, but you know, it's sort of interesting. Like he, you know, processes it normally, uh, cross processes it processes it in e6 does a bleach bypass does a uh, red scale with it all sorts of other things so um yeah like this is interesting if you are into film and you want to see someone um you know do crazy things with the film that you're interested in right um you know this isn't like a one of those lifestyle channels i'm trying to find i forget uh what um Oh yeah, we have a competitor in the podcast space because there's the the channel Mami Amigos, which is two <laughs> uh, of these like film YouTuber types who, um, oh yeah, bad, bad flashes and grainy days, um, that just make videos that um, I don't know, like they're just very aesthetic, I guess, mm-hmm. but also. Uh, not that like information dense and just seem to like just be showing off all of the cameras that they've got kind of things. Um, yeah. I, I feel like YouTube is the source of a lot of the gear culture. Um, That's definitely stuff true. That we have to deal with. Yeah. Cause it looks cool, right? Everyone, <laughs> everyone wants to be Casey Neistat on there, right. right? He's got his wall of cameras that are destroyed because he actually uses them. But then you've got, you know, uh, some guy who just bought 10 cameras because they can and yeah. thinks that that makes them good at their job. 
Like it's like, oh yeah, uh, this week I got a Minolta X700. You know, and then you watch that and you're like, well, now I want a Minolta X700. Which, <laughs> right. to be clear, you should because it's a good camera. But <laughs> you know, that that's you know, they'll just rotate through. You know, and I, I even I have to watch myself sometimes. So you know. Oh yeah. Yeah, but you here's always, you always want the thing that they have. Here's a YouTube short, for example, of a guy who put 20 extension tubes onto his Canon R5, and just and to make it like the most macro possible, you know. And that that that's good content <laughs> right there, if you ask me. Yeah, honestly, I'm surprised that like the autofocus worked through that many extensions and that length of like copper. Yeah, I would think that it wouldn't <laughs> it wouldn't work at all. I don't think those signals are designed to travel that far. No. No, that's uh that's a weird one. Yeah. So, I don't know. I yeah, there's there's like um there's definitely a a a niche of like photography and film YouTube that is not something I'm super interested in, you know? I like the um I I like like the petapixel stuff. I like that what's his name, Kai, who does the Kai reviews and as well. Both, yeah. Yeah, that they they just like review new cameras. Obviously, that's useful. But then I there like, are um, uh, Snapchick, or uh, I guess it's uh, I forget what they they rename their channel, but you'll find it if you search for them. They have they're right. they're great. They've been doing photography for ages. They have a whole bunch of courses on their channel that are free, like mm-hmm. how to do editing, how to do lighting, that kind of stuff. Yeah, but yeah. then there's these folks who are just like basically like photography photography influencers i guess right you know and they're just yeah. like it's like oh testing a thirteen thousand dollar hasselblad camera it's like cool okay thanks great yeah <laughs> that's great information for me five to know. five years of mamiya seven photos porsche gave me a car how nice must be nice awesome you know what does yeah. that have to do with photography though i don't know <laughs> yeah porsche hey porsche if you want to send us cars uh, go for it yeah i'll photograph them Sure. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, anyway, we're on YouTube now. You can find the podcast yeah. there. Uh, <laughs> I guess, actually, we kind of are, aren't we? Because YouTube has their, like, turn your RSS feed into a YouTube channel thing. Yeah, we we've, I know that people use YouTube as their podcast client. And so YouTube yeah. now has you- a feature where you can just give it your RSS feed and it will auto-generate videos for you so that's that's there if that's how you prefer to listen you you can listen to this podcast on youtube i i you will sure not can. be doing uh influencer lifestyle content because i don't no. think that the world needs any more of that but yeah and we certainly won't post a youtube short that's my promise to you no no listen if i'm gonna do youtube stuff i'm gonna put effort in you know like, <laughs> right <laughs> If we ever do YouTube videos, it'll probably be pretty weird niche stuff that yes. just like requires a visual element that we right. can't do on the podcast. So, yeah, I don't know. We shall see. <laughs> will, will we come to eat these words? I don't know. <laughs> Only time will tell. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway. Thank you for listening to Sensor Noise. You can find us at sensornoise.com, on Instagram at sensornoisepod, on Blue Sky at sensornoise, and on YouTube now um, at sensornoise. Uh, if you like the podcast, please tell your friend about it. Hey.